Welcome to another message from LifePoint Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on LifePoint Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now, today's message. All right. Well, as the announcement video said, um, we have a guest with us today. Pastor Terry and Karen Yancey are, are um, man, we just love them. We're so grateful for them in so many different ways. Um, one thing, though, you're glad that you're not sitting by Pastor Terry um, this morning because I often sat next to him at our presbyter meetings, and he would punch me all the time. I, just, I have wounds, deep contusions in my shoulder from him, but um, he packs a mighty punch for a small guy. But anyway... Uh, but uh, we're just so grateful. <laughs> we're so grateful to have him with us. I was telling first service, um, uh, man, back in 2000, early 2000s, we were pastoring in Goodland, Kansas, and uh, invited uh, Pastor Terry and Karen out um, to be with us on a Sunday. And at that time, they were probably four or five years into their role as district superintendent. And, um, and so... And we were just starting out, uh, learning how to be senior pastors, and, and uh, so we had a great time with them. But they're with us today, and um, he is just weeks away from stepping away from the role of being superintendent. And God has great things in store for them, um, and we're excited to see uh, what what uh, the Lord has for them in the coming days. But with that, I got together, I asked them, you know, back in October or whenever it was, hey, would you be willing to come and, and preach uh, uh, one more time as superintendent at LifePoint? And he was like, absolutely. And, um, and so then I met with him a couple weeks ago and said, this is our theme for the year. And I'm, I'm going to ask, can you, can you kind of go this direction? And he was like, absolutely. And I said, I need the keys to your car. Can you hand me that? And he, he didn't say absolutely anymore. But anyway, but we're honored to have them with us this morning. Pastor Terry, would you come, LifePoint? Would you make him feel so welcome this morning? Uh, I love your pastor, and uh, the only thing I, I'm concerned, he, he has a tendency to not tell the truth. Uh, or at least not the whole truth. I never, I never, ever punched him in the arm when he didn't need it. No, I, 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 have, I have abused him quite a bit, and um, I've been so thankful that uh, Pastor Steve has been on our presbytery board uh, for six years. He finishes his uh, term uh, the same time that we finish our term in superintendency, and, um, but it, it's been such an honor to have you working and leading together, and Pastor Robin, for you to work with us for six years at the office day after day, you just made us so much better. But we're so thrilled for the Lord bringing you to be full time in the pastoral work with your husband. And um, so they, they are, I don't know if you realize what a treasure you have in Stephen Robin Rains. But uh, if you think they're a treasure, why don't you let them know it, huh? Amen. That's good. The pastor shared with me what uh, your theme is Arise. And uh, <coughs> pardon me. So uh, I've been seeking God and. You'll be the judge of whether I've had a word from the Lord for you, but in my heart, I believe I do, and I want to talk to you about the subject of arise to embrace God's call. Arise to embrace God's call. In Mark chapter 3, we're going to read a few verses, and then in Mark uh, 16 as well, but it begins this way. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach 
included those that would have been, if you had read verse 16 and on, you would have seen the list of the ones who became known as apostles. So it included them, but it also included, the disciples included, marketplace representatives of Jesus. Marketplace representatives of Jesus. Marketplace Christians provide the largest body of called people. Your pastor is right. Every one of us are called to minister, but not everybody is called to preach. How many of you are glad for that? Let me see your hand. How many of you, no matter what I say and ask you to raise your hand, how many of you, you're just not going to raise your hand? Yeah, there you go. Every one of us are called to reveal Jesus to the world. That's our calling. That's our privilege. Karen's dad and mine, they were master carpenters, and they revealed Jesus to the world day after day after day because they walked with Jesus. They, they were tithers. My, my father-in-law had a little sticker that he kept on his checkbook. How many of you have ever seen in days gone by, uh, I don't see them anymore, but used to there were bumper stickers and it said, honk if you love Jesus. Anybody ever see one of those bumper stickers? Yeah. My father-in-law, he, he was a great man and he had a, a sticker on his checkbook and it said, if you love Jesus, pay tithe. Anybody can honk their horn. That's the kind of guy he was. He never preached a sermon. He probably never even taught in a Sunday school class, but he lived the Word of God, a master carpenter. And my dad, he was a master carpenter, and, and uh, dad taught me how to tithe, uh, meaning you know, 10% of what you earn just immediately goes to the Lord as recognition that 100% of everything we have is already God's. And, and so dad taught us to tithe. He taught us to love uh, pastor. He taught us to love Jesus and the church. He, he taught us to give to missions and support those who are going into the far-flung regions. He and mom were, were stalwart in. The, the only people that were at the church building more than, than my mom and dad were Pastor and Sister Howard. I mean, that was, it was just, we were just a, uh, we were sold out. My dad thought for a while that Jesus was calling him to preach. And he went to the pastor then who had planted the church, Brother Waldron. And back then we all, we didn't call anybody pastor. It was always brother and sister, everything. And, and he went to Brother Waldron. And uh, he said, Brother Waldron, I, I think maybe Jesus wants me to preach. And, and he said, I know I couldn't pastor a big church like this one. We had about 45 people. But dad came from the hills of Arkansas. 45 people in a local church was a big deal. He said, I don't think I could pastor a big church like this, but maybe eight or ten people, maybe I could pastor them. And Brother Waldron said, now Billy Joe, you just raise those three boys to love Jesus. You just raise them to love Jesus. I think that's what Jesus wants you to do. And Dad took it to heart. My oldest brother's in heaven now. And as he was dying the last several months of his life, no one came to his room without him encouraging them and asking them, urging them to turn their life to Jesus. My middle brother, Stevie, he can't end a text or a, a phone call with me without saying, now, Terrell, and remember, Jesus is coming. Let's be ready. He's coming anytime." I'm telling you, marketplace Christians make a difference. Marketplace Christians make a difference. Karen's mama, she was, <laughs> she was so shy, she couldn't lead in silent prayer. And, uh, but she, she loved Jesus. And she could talk to children. And before people knew about or heard about something called Sidewalk Sunday School, Dorothy Swadley was inviting boys and girls in the neighborhood. Karen's friends and buddies and Debbie's friends and buddies and Richie's friends and buddies and Jerry, the oldest, his friends and buddies, inviting those children to come. And, and she would use chalk and teach them about Jesus with chalk on the sidewalk and and, and, she, and she would talk to her neighbors, and one neighbor that she led to Jesus was a gal named Jean. Jean was married to a guy named Bob. Bob had no interest in the things of God, and Jean didn't until Mom got hold of her. <laughs> and they would talk across the fence, and a long story short, she led Jean to Jesus. They, she started coming to the church Mom and Dad attended, and her Karen's mom and I, I started calling them mom and dad so just in case you need a scorecard when i say mom and dad in this story i'm meaning swadley my wife does so 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 she invited them and and uh, jean 
kept asking Bob, her husband, and finally he came, and he got saved. He came to Jesus, and it was a, a glorious thing. And then, now John, John Waldron was the one who had planted that church. It was in Inglewood, Kansas. Everybody knows where Inglewood is. <clears throat> Just like everybody knows where Atwood, Kansas is. But anyway, it was Inglewood, near Independence, Missouri. And so, so he was a church planter, and he had gotten things going, and, and uh, he felt good about where it was, and he felt like, you know, there's, we need another church just, just a few miles on away over in Independence, and I'm going to go start that. And uh, he, he invited a few people to come and help him get it started. And two of the people he invited was one couple named Bob and Jean. Jean had been led to Jesus by Dorothy Swadley. Now, collapse some time frames. That church was four or five years old, and uh, uh, there was a, a hillbilly family that moved up from Arkansas. How many of you ever heard Jeff Foxworthy tell his, you might be a redneck joke, right? All those jokes. He, he got all of his material from my family. <laughs> you know you might be a redneck if. I mean, it's just, I could, I, you know you might be a redneck if your wife has ever said, get that transmission out of my bathtub. <laughs> and on and on. And so, but, but we, were just, we were just very poor hillbillies, and Dad found that there was work carpenter's labor work he wasn't a, a labor a carpenter but at that point but he heard that there was work and he said i've got a strong back i can learn and so he moved us up to independence missouri and and uh, somebody invited us to go to their church and uh, it was central assembly of god john waldron was the pastor and so mom and back in the day now this is the this is the early 1960s back in the day you didn't go to church uh, even if you're a little boy, you, you didn't go to church in jeans and a shirt. Man, you, you had to put on a little suit and tie. I had a little James Bond hat. If you ever watched the earliest James Bond movies, he'd wear those little fedoras, you know. And I had a little hat, and my brothers were in suit and tie, and we came marching up, and uh, we went in that, that, that door that morning, and, and there was a guy at the door, and uh, when he saw mom and dad and my three brother, my two brothers, and we were stair steps, we were born in 57, 58, and I was born in 59, that guy got down on a knee, and he ignored mom and dad, and he said to them, but not looking at them, he looked them, us in the eye, and he said, what fine boys, my goodness, you boys are just fine, I'm so glad you're here, and he just hustled us and messed with us, and then he stood up and welcomed mom and dad. They went on in and had a good service. I suppose the next Sunday, mom and dad told us later as, as adults, they said, are we going to go back to that church or should we try another? And dad said, you know, that man was so good to our boys. He didn't say how well John, how John Waldron preached, although Brother Waldron was a good preacher. Pastor Steve, Pastor Robin, he said, that guy was so good to our boys. Let's go try that one more time. And so we did, and we connected, and mom and dad grew in Jesus, and, and mom and dad, dad eventually became a deacon, and mom taught Sunday school, and dad taught Sunday school, and, and my brothers and I soaked up the presence of God because the Spirit moved in that, in that place. When we worshiped, the, we, we, we knew that we were encountering Jesus Christ. It was, it was no dead historic religious place. It was, it was a place of hope and sustenance and life and and. and do you know who the man was that got on his knee? A man named Bob Jaquis. His wife was named Jean. Do you know who led Jean to Jesus? Dorothy Swadley, my wife's mother. If it hadn't been for her being a Christian in the marketplace, in her neighborhood, sharing Jesus, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. But that's the way God does. And I want you to know your life. Church people, your life, you're not the preacher, you're not the one piloting the plane, I know that, but you have more influence than you realize. And if you will live full of the power of the Spirit, you will be influencers, you will be difference makers. I could tell you other stories of friends like Dr. Corey and Michelle Liao, a neurologist in Hawaii has one of the largest neurological pro, uh, practices in the state. He is a giver. He's a tither and missions giver, and, and he tells his other doctors about Jesus. He prays with his patients. He's the, he's the fragrance of Jesus to the people that come into their growing, wonderful practice. They carry Jesus in their day-to-day -day world. And that's how it was in the first century. 
merchants and craftsmen, bakers and farmers and housewives and slaves and government employees and palace administrators. They lived inflamed, aflame with the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they weren't just convinced in here that Jesus was alive. They, they were in here. They, they knew Jesus was someone they walked with, someone that worked alongside them. When they cried out in prayer, Jesus showed up. They knew they could count on Jesus, and he knew he could count on them. And in just two generations, a spirit-filled, mobilized church became such a force that it challenged the spiritual and cultural landscape of the broken-up, messed-up Roman Empire. This spiritual earthquake didn't just happen because there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They had their place. But that spiritual earthquake happened, be, pardon me, because of people just like you who lived full of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit in their day-to-day -day world. Now, the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers provided leadership, but it was Spirit-empowered people who modeled a consistent alternative to the empty, self-indulgent, self-destructive lives of those not yet following Jesus. We know not everybody got saved, but so many that did get saved got saved because they saw Jesus working in the life of other merchants and other farmers that were glad share hope now god wants that happening more than it already is i didn't come here today to say shape up what's the matter with you bunch of deadheads thank god there's some good stuff happening hey you're you're a part of something that's that's moving forward you've got a pastor's a couple this pastor steve and pastor robin they they know where we're going and they're leading you right and you've got a great staff and a great deacon team and and there's so many of you that are serving and doing that you're connecting to the outside world you're not just showing up and doing your religious curtsy to god and then go home and do anything else you want no there's some good things happening but whatever is happening that's already good jesus is saying i've got a ride in store for you you want to get on the train <laughs> god wants this this expansion of his church to happen more than any time in your wonderful history on the earth now the biggest problem for any church surfaces when we drift from our first love when we drift from the mission of god have you noticed that most humans at least i'll speak for myself but i've got a feeling i've enough that i know most humans start strong they start hot they start zealous but in time, they grow weak, cold, and lethargic. Listen to me. The United States, according to uh, author George Hunter and author Wynne Arne, the United States stands today as the largest national, national mission field in the Western Hemisphere. And the United States is the fifth largest national mission field on planet Earth. On top of that, Nearly 4,000 evangelical churches close every year in North America. 4,000 close in North America. And we don't plant anything close to 4,000. Nearly 80% of all evangelical churches in the U.S. have either stopped growing or they're in decline. Nearly 80%. They're evangelical, they believe the Bible is true, they believe it's the inspired word of God, and they know that people need to be born again, that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. They get all of that, but they're not growing and they're declining. Of the 20% that's left, about 15% of the 20, uh, about 15 of the 20 are, are growing, but they're growing because people are leaving dying churches and coming over there. And people call it church growth. But if you've got 10 spoons and you have them in one drawer and you take five spoons out of here and put them in the next drawer, you didn't have growth, you had movement. Now you have two drawers that have fewer spoons. That's what's happening in the American North American church and a sleepy North American church. And have you noticed that our, the North American church 
is often more comfortable with emotional snooze buttons, with political rants and sports center updates than they are with missional effectiveness. Have you noticed this slumbering North American church has experienced mission drift? What is, what is mission drift? Mission drift is what happened to Harvard in 1636, I believe it was. Harvard was founded on the founding purpose to know God and to know Jesus Christ. Harvard. And their purpose is no longer and has not been for, for many, many years to know God. They would only hire Christians, born-again Christian teachers. Things happened. It was mission drift. A slow departure from the original purpose over a long period of time, gradually adopting purposes different from the founding intentions. It happens to churches. It happens to us in our lives. It, it happens. Part of the reason people get divorced is because of mission drift. Married a lot of couples. I've never married one couple where he or she said at the end of the ceremony, I give this maybe five years, and by that time we'll, we'll hate each other. I, maybe, I mean, if it was an arranged marriage, maybe. But I've never married a couple that said, I plan to hate this woman with such vehemence that I will take her life at some point in, in violence and there's, it, it doesn't happen. Why does it happen, though? It's, it's mission drift. Instead of serving one another, we start saying, it's all about me, and we drift, and that's what happens to the, to the church, to the local church. No person, no family, no church ever drifted into greatness or drifted into zeal or drifted into helpful influence. It's an intentionality that must be cultivated. Are you with me? You're not asleep or anything? If you are asleep, sorry I woke you up. If you don't get anything else out of my preaching except a good nap, at least you get a good nap. God bless you. But we can't drift into greatness for God. No powerful church ever stopped producing world-shaking spiritual champions due to one pastoral declaration or due to one policy approved last night at a deacon meeting. It stopped being powerful because it drifted. Here's the good news. When the church is standing like the sleeping North American church by and large, when it's standing as a socially isolated, culturally irrelevant, spiritually inconsequential relic, God always calls a few people to challenge the church and say, Arise! You were made for something besides just having church service on Sunday morning. You were made to declare my glory. You were made to reveal that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if Jesus could be raised from the dead, it doesn't matter where you live or what has been in your past. Jesus is able to intervene in your circumstances. Some say this God we serve is, is omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-seeing. I'll tell you, though, this all-seeing God, let me tell you, he's never seen a few things. He's never seen a man he cannot save. He has never seen an addict he can't set free. He's never seen a sin he doesn't know how to forgive. This God says, wake up, church, arise. You're responding about 50% as well as I'm preaching. That's, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. The woman or man God calls may not yet have a recognized title in the church organization, but God will use some people he calls to influence the church to arise and seek God. Returning to the mission of delivering a hope-filled gospel to lost people that are nearby and in far-off countries. I believe today God is calling people. Pastor was right. He's already said it. Every one of us are called to share the love of Jesus. That, that's, that, that's general. That's everything. That's everybody. You don't need a special calling to do that. You have to have a hard heart not to do that. <laughs> so you, you're, you're doing the first calling, but today God is calling also people, younger and older, women and men, to help lead this North American church out of its stupor 
and into a place of New Testament effectiveness in the 21st century that makes it look like it's the first century church. That's God's call. That's God's call to this church. Wherever you are, the Holy Spirit says, as good as it may be, I'm not satisfied. Come up higher. Come up higher. And he's going to call people and is calling people to help lead this North American church into a new era of worldwide spirit-empowered missionary effectiveness. Perhaps the Spirit is calling you, sir, dad, mom. Perhaps the Spirit is calling you, papa, grandma. Maybe he is calling your kids. Parents and grandparents, I want to beg you today, if I never ever get to be in this pulpit again, I want you to hear this. Please start praying privately, privately, secretly, that God would call your children to preach the gospel. That God would call your kids to be apostolic missionaries and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Pray that, pray that God would begin to stir their hearts, that they would someday stand on top of a Range Rover in the plains of Africa and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to a, to a village that's never heard, that God would call them to go into the hinterlands of Burma, of Myanmar, and preach to Buddhists that, that have no clue about who Jesus is. And when they hear of him dying on the cross, their first cultural response is to say as a Buddhist, what bad karma he must have had that he would have to die such a horrible death. God, some God was against him. But I'm praying that some of your kids, some of your grandkids will be called to go up to Bird City up in northwest Kansas and launch a powerful life-giving church in Bird City, Kansas. You say, well, there's hardly seven people in Bird City, but half of them don't know him. Half of, half of Kansas population, more than 1.5 million people have no connection of any kind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're living here. They're our neighbors. And I'm praying, oh God, would you begin to call moms and dads? Would you begin to call children and teenagers? Would you begin to even call grandparents and say, will you preach my gospel? I was just about a month short of being of being 11 year, of being 12 years old and in a camp summer camp meeting I, just, I was about this big around I was so skinny I looked anorexic you can look at me and see I overcame it <laughs> but I was laying flat on my back seeking God didn't care what I what he would do with my life I just said Jesus I'm yours and I heard Jesus speak to me and he said to a little 11-year, 11, 11-month-old 11 boy, he said, Terry, will you preach my gospel? And I said, yes, Jesus. And I've had some ups and downs like anybody else, but I'm here to tell you, jump in, the water's just fine. If he calls you, don't, listen, if he calls your kids to be preachers, don't ever urge them to stoop to being the CEO of the richest company in America. It is not about the position on this planet. It's about obeying God. And I'm telling you, if he will call your kids, they are in for a glorious ride. Are there headaches? Well, of course there are. We're working with people for heaven's sakes. I'm a people. I know what a headache I am sometimes. But oh, God is saying, I'm looking for someone to lead this church into new vistas of power and effectiveness to preach the gospel to preach the gospel my mama lives in a nursing home in arkansas and she's disappearing one memory at a time from us dementia's taking her away last time i was there she when i was leaving her nurse that was walking her back to the memory unit said to miss yancey don't you want to say goodbye to your son and she turned around and said oh bye dad so she she hasn't called me by my my name for uh, more than four years so about eight years ago before she got so bad we had picked her up and we were driving around the hills there in Izzard County uh, yes I said Izzard I-Z-A-R-D Izzard County and um, showing mom hey remember when and old home places where we had lived and where she and dad had lived. And
front seat beside me and Karen behind her. And she didn't like that. She wanted Karen always to be up front. And Karen treated her like she was her own mama and said, oh, no, no, Mom, you stay up there. So we're driving along on the old country roads. And Mom kind of leans toward me with this and says, Alan, just give no comment. Your daddy and I always think there was something special about you. But Jesus has called you to bring the children to him. He's just saying things that you understand. Got it. We didn't want your mama called. if I was pushing a, a, re, a re, re, rewind and play, she did that for an hour. She said the same thing over and over for an hour. And dementia was taking away who she was, but she knew that she and Billy Joe had prayed for Jesus to raise something up because they saw the call. But they weren't calling me because they knew there were going to be some hard times. And if Jesus didn't make it clear to me I wouldn't have been able to stand the test. If mama called me, I would fail. But if Jesus called me, I could stand. I'm telling you, Karen and I have faced some stuff, but we have stood the test. Why? Because we aren't mama called. We are Jesus called. So parents, grandparents, pray for Jesus to call some of your kids. Pray for him to call them to, to be pastors and evangelists. Pray for them to be missionaries. And if he does, when he makes it clear to them, then jump in like my mom and dad did, like Karen's mom and dad did, and support them as they pursue obeying Jesus to be all that God wants them to be. So I'm going to wrap this way. Let me just look back again at Mark 3. When God calls, when God calls someone to ministry leadership, how many of you know when you get on an airplane, he, he doesn't, uh, all of us don't get to be the pilot on the plane, right? Aren't you glad? Not just anybody should be flying the plane. So God calls ministry leaders to pilot the plane, as it were, to equip God's people to do God's work, God's way, by God's power. But when Jesus calls, he calls those he wants. It said he called to himself those he wanted that he called me to be in ministry leadership doesn't mean that he thought I was better than anybody else. It simply means in his purposes and in his wisdom, he said, I'm going to choose him. I'll use him. He looked at Karen. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was as shy as her mama was. At 16, she'd been dating some knothead boy in her church. And, and I say knothead because, because he, he wasn't trying to serve God. He definitely didn't have a call of God on his life. And Jesus passed by all the other girls on her, on her row in that camp meeting that night. And uh, I was 11 when, when God called me. And it was several years later at a different camp and God called her. But he spoke to her and said, I want you to enter ministry. I'm calling you to ministry. And she stood up when it was the right time in response. And, and all of her girlfriends said, said You're, what are you doing, Karen? You know so-and-so that she was going to, uh, that she was promised to to get married. He's never going to be a preacher. What are you doing? She said, I just know that Jesus has called me. Thank God. That guy wasted and squandered his opportunity and broke her little heart. And she was free when I was free. And I might not look very smart, but I know a good thing when I see it. I heard a voice behind me. We had been set up on a blind date. She was blind and I was the date. And I was supposed to meet her there at Blue Ridge Assembly of God. And I was so nervous. Oh, I was so nervous. I wanted to meet her, but I wasn't sure. And so I, I was in the lobby, and I heard a, a voice behind me, this beautiful, sweet voice. And I heard that voice say, excuse me, are you Carrie Yancey? And here the story gets deadly serious. I turned, and I looked at her. And when I saw her, and I looked in her eyes, I heard Jesus say, you're going to marry that girl. Jesus has guided our steps. Jesus calls who he wants. I don't know why he called me and didn't call my brother Steve here, Donnie. 
but Jesus called me the baby boy of Dylan Carroll. And why he called me, I don't know, but I know this. I have wanted and Karen has wanted to live our lives obeying Jesus, helping others to do all they can for Jesus Christ. And it has been such an honor to simply fulfill the work of God. He calls leaders to expand his presence of his church into every culture, tribe on the earth. And that means Kansas. So please embrace God's call. If he calls you, Mr. Obey him, say yes, don't waste time running. I love how it says in that last verse, and they came to him. He called them, and they came to him. They didn't say, oh, no, no, I've got a better job. I, I, I need to have something that has a retirement plan. I've got to have something that provides insurance. No, no, no. It was, if Jesus is calling me, and I say to you, dear friend, if Jesus is calling you, do yourself a favor. And do the kingdom of God a favor and yield to him. Follow him. When God calls, hurry, hurrying along. God instills the priority of intense spiritual formation. It says he called them that they might be with him. I've noticed that I act a lot like the people I hang around with most. And am I the only one? I pick up their phrases, I pick up their habits. I the people I hang close to. It says in the book of Acts, I think it was chapter 4, the apostles had been preaching Jesus and uh, they got in trouble for it. And uh, then when they were brought in front of the uh, Sanhedrin and they told them, now don't you, don't you be preaching in this name of Jesus anymore. <laughs> the stuff they said back to them, respectful and all, but they, they spoke and the Bible says in the King James, these were ignorant and unlearned men. That's, that's in English language, that's doubling down on the same point. Ignorant means I haven't had education. That's all ignorant means. I'm not aware of something. They were ignorant and unlearned. They were dumb and they didn't know it. That's what they're saying to them. They're saying, these guys are dumb and they don't know it. But then they said what matters. But they took knowledge of these ignorant unlearned guys they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus have you been with Jesus I've noticed that being with Jesus covers up the degrees I've earned I've noticed being with Jesus covers up my ignorance I've noticed being with Jesus gives me a capacity that I don't have if I don't spend time with Jesus he called them to deep spiritual format yes he wants all of us to be walking close but if he calls you to ministry leadership, he is calling you to a step different, a step deeper, a step higher. Jesus alone is the answer to this berserk world. They need to take knowledge of us as we've been with Jesus. And finally, when God calls, he provides a message and the power to back it up. He sent them out to preach into verse 14, verse 15. And to have authority to drive out demons. Pastor Steve didn't ask me to come today to preach a feel-good message. I hope you're feeling good. You know, I, I hope you don't feel beat up. Um, if I beat you up, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I just want to punch him. I don't need to punch you. But I don't preach a feel-better-about-life message. I preach a life and identity transforming message telling you in a world that is so confused about identity I'm telling you I know who I am in Jesus and the only way anyone can know who they are is to be in Jesus and wherever they start once they get into Jesus he's going to begin to bring them up out of their confusion he's going to help them get established and realize that God didn't make a mistake that God knows the difference in a boy and a girl and if he made them a boy he is going to help them become a man of God if he made them a girl he's gonna make them a woman of God he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and when he pours himself on them I'm telling you I am NOT preaching a message of condemnation I am preaching a message of clarity there is hope in Jesus we don't have to beat anybody up or condemn them. Let's just tell them there's hope in Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. So I'm not preaching a feel better about life message. I want to see 
identity transforming, life transforming happen. And listen to me, church. One of the biggest temptations that the North American church is struggling with is we've gotten confused about spiritual power and political power. When the Catholic Church, who was the official state religion of Rome and became the, the state religion of, of all the parts of Europe and what they used to call in history the Dark Ages. Do you know why it became the Dark Ages? Because when the church, who Jesus designed to be a spiritual influence and to wield spiritual authority, started wielding political power and authority. Instead of being a city, a light set on a hill, it brought what historians sometimes call the Dark Ages. When the church was the most powerful political influence in the land of Europe, Europe was blanketed in darkness. And church, we've got an election coming up, and it's, please, dear God in heaven, help us to get a handle that we are not about one party or the other where if whatever you are it's fine vote be a part of it have nice conversations but this church's message is not about one candidate being better than the other it is about jesus christ and him crucified he who raised from the dead and says if people will look to me i will change their world now, do I understand that the political offices make an impact? Well, of course I do. But our primary reason for existing, don't, don't, don't drift from the mission. Our mission is to extend hope in Jesus Christ. Political and social power won't help us, but explosive Holy Spirit power that puts demons to flight, that will help the church. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, Paul says to them, I determined, pardon me, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'm telling you, church, as long as life point stays anchored to Jesus Christ, Him crucified, raised from the dead, as long as Pastor Steve and Pastor Robin and their staff members and their deacons are clinging to that reality and proclaiming that reality, covered in, in, in mounds of love and hope, as long as life point does that, you have a future and the people around you the people that are moving into these subdivisions the people who are coming in to this part of the county they have hope if you will walk understanding we are called to elevate jesus first last and everything in between so i want everyone to remember we're we're going to go we're going to function as the hands and feet of jesus Marketplace Christians, you have so much wonderful opportunity. Show his love and be, be bringers. Bring people to Jesus. If you can't lead them to Jesus there on the job, at least invite them to come to one of the services and bring them. Bring them. Your company where you work may not know it, but when they pay you on a weekend and week out basis for your diligent labor, when they pay you their, your paycheck, they may not know it, but they're providing a ministry opportunity for you to serve as a beacon of eternal hope in a deranged world. You may think you're just working there because you've got to make ends meet to feed your kids. That's not what Jesus says. Feeding your kids and taking care of your wife and paying the mortgage, that's, that's sidelights. You're there to be an example of who Jesus is, to show the light and hope and love and joy of heaven. That's, that's why you're getting the paycheck. Our message is not, it's not anything except Jesus. God called us out of the darkness and into the light so we could provide the light of Jesus to the guy stocking shelves at Dillon's, to the guy working at the reception desk at the dental office, to the neighbor down the hall, to a Gene Jaquist, 
husband Bob. If Jesus doesn't hurry up and come back, who you welcome today, maybe they'll come back because of you. Probably won't be because they heard my sermon. But if they felt Jesus and they felt your love, what if 25 years from now, some little boy or girl standing on the hood of a Range Rover out in the middle of India and preaching in Hindi and telling them the millions and millions of gods you serve they are subservient to the God I serve he has power to give life all they have is power to give death what if that happens I'm telling you church I'm telling you, church, your best days are ahead. Your best days, Papa, your best days are ahead. You may not have the grip in your hands anymore because of arthritis, but your best days are ahead. Do you still know how to grip the presence of God? Grandma, your voice may not be as strong as it used to be, and when you sing, it cracks and doesn't sound so pretty like it used to. But, but you can still sing the praises of a living God, and you can still show grandchildren what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. How to trust Him when everything else is falling apart. Dad, you may be kind of like my dad was and feel like, well, maybe I should preach, and I, but He's not called you to preach. Just raise those kids. Raise those kids and spend time on your face before the Lord when nobody else is around. When the kids aren't within earshot and lay on the floor and weep before God saying, Oh God, use my family. Use my family. He's calling you to that. Will you arise? Will you arise? If you do, eternity will look different than it will today. Parents, offer your kids to God. Offer yourselves to God. Please. Listen to Jesus say yes to him and arise. Pastor mentioned next steps on your connection card. I didn't see a spot that says next steps, but it's a perfect place on the back, on the bottom. Sermon notes, I know that you were just all, everybody is spiritual, always takes sermon notes, and so I know that you were, it's a joke. Um, but at the bottom, at the tear-off place, I would encourage you, just write the words, my next step, I will tear this off and put your name on the front and leave it. Leadership will see and pray with you. Connect with you if need be. You want to see. You're not going to remember what I preached within two days. I know that. doesn't hurt my feelings. I might not remember what I preached in two days. But if Jesus is speaking to you, you can't forget that. You can't forget that. But it's important. Will you write down our next step? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you let us be in this service today. God, thank you for giving us Pastor Steve and Pastor Robin and the facilitating of, 
step up right now and say, Lord, we will not drift any longer. We will walk tightly beside you. So God, as people right there next to them, I pray they feel feel the encouragement of the presence of their Heavenly Father. And that however many days, weeks, months, or years they live, that they will be fulfilled, that they will arise and answer the call of God. Let's stand together. This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Rains.